Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from AntiWar.com. This is Anti-War News for Monday, May 15th, 2023. Hey, I just needed to put an update at the beginning of this video. So this first story that I go over is about an interview in the Washington Post with Zelensky that was published on Saturday. They deleted a pretty decent-sized portion of the interview that had some very interesting things in it, and that's what I cover is the fact that they deleted it and the contents of of what they deleted. But then Sunday night, they uh, put it back into the interview. So as of right now, uh, the the full interview is restored, but uh, it's still very interesting, again, the contents of the interview. So that's what I go over in this first story. Just wanted to give you that update. Enjoy the show. All right, the first story at the top of antiwar.com today, the Washington Post deletes a portion of a Zelensky interview. So this is an interesting story here. The Washington Post deleted a portion of an interview that it did with Zelensky where he accused the paper of helping Russia by posing a question about information contained in leaked classified documents. So this interview was conducted on May 1st and it was published on Saturday. And there's an archived version of the interview, the original story that they published, and it shows a testy exchange between Zelensky and the Washington Post. And this was later deleted. So they asked Zelensky about documents that they obtained that said uh, members of Ukraine's main directorate of intelligence, that's their military intel unit, known as the HUR, This document apparently showed that they had back-channel contact with Yevgeny Prigozhin, who is the head of the Russian mercenary force Wagner Group. So Zelensky, when he was asked about this, he appeared to think that the Post received the information from a Ukrainian and demanded that the paper reveal its source. Zelensky said, quote, I would also like to ask you a question. With which sources from Ukraine do you have contact? Who is talking about the activities of our intelligence? Because this is the most severe felony in our country. Which Ukrainians are you talking to? End quote. So the Post uh, replied and said that the information did not come from Ukraine. And it uh, appeared that they were discussing documents that were part of the Discord leaks. And these documents revealed information that was obtained by the U.S. spying on Zelensky. There's been a few of these documents uh, showing, you know, the U.S. intercepting Ukrainian communications. And the Post said that the documents showed Kirill Budinov, who is the head of Ukraine's, uh, of the HUR, the uh, military intelligence. And according to this document, he informed Zelensky about a Russian plan to destabilize Moldova with two former Wagner associates. So this is, um, it's tough to, to figure out exactly what they're saying here, but this, I'll read the quote, what the, the Washington Post said to Zelensky explaining what was in this document. They said, quote, Budinov informed you that he viewed the Russian scheme as a way to incriminate Pergozin because we have dealings with him. You instructed Budinov to inform Moldova's president and Budinov told you that the HUR had informed Pergozin that he would be labeled a traitor who has been working with Ukraine. 
The document also says that Budinov expected the Russians to use details of Prigozhin's secret talks with the HUR and meetings with the HUR officers in Africa, end quote. So Zelensky responded by asking if the paper wanted to help Russia. He said, quote, you are releasing some sort of information that does not help our state to attack and does not help us defend our state. So I don't quite understand what you are talking about. I don't quite understand your goal. Is your goal to help Russia? End quote. And the Washington Post responded by saying, no, we don't want to help Russia. And he basically said, well, it seems like you do. So it's not clear. And, you know, this exchange is kind of is longer than, you know, what I included in this article. Again, if you want to check it out. Um, actually, uh, the, I got this from RT and then I went and saw the archive version. So I linked to that and you could see the highlighted text was all removed uh, from this Washington Post story. And maybe because of what Zelensky was saying, uh, you know, saying he was calling, you know, sharing such information treasonous, uh, you know, kind of demanding that the Post reveal its source, even though when it, it, it seems like their source is these Discord documents. Although the Washington Post has been reporting on these docu- these new documents that they say they have that nobody else has seen, and they don't actually publish the documents, so who knows exactly what's going on there. But anyway, I mean, I thought this was pretty interesting, uh, and it's not clear why the Washington Post deleted this portion of the interview. You know, they haven't said anything. It could have been done at the behest of the Ukrainian government. That's possible because the Ukrainian government previously pressured CBS News to remove a documentary on military aid to Ukraine, if you remember that. That was back, wow, back in August 2022. It doesn't feel like that long ago. But CBS put out this documentary about military aid to Ukraine, and they quoted somebody that said only about 30 to 40% of it is reaching its final destination, talking about people skimming off the top. And Ukraine's government, uh, you know, demanded an investigation into this document, and CBS pulled it. They said they were going to issue a corrected one, Uh, I don't know what needed to be corrected, but, you know, they never did. Um, So it goes to show the poll that the Ukrainian government has. So then on Sunday night, the Washington Post actually published a report on these allegations about Ukraine's intelligence contacts with Prigozhin, again, the head of the Wagner mercenary force. And this report says that Prigozhin uh, offered to give Ukraine information on Russian troop positions if Ukrainian forces withdrew from Bakhmut where his Wagner forces have been fighting. But the report said that U.S. and Ukrainian officials thought the proposal was disingenuous. You know, they didn't know if he was serious. And, you know, I I think uh, it's definitely possible that they have back-channel communication. That's definitely believable. Um, But this claim that Prigozhin was trying to uh, give them, you know, positions of Russian troops, who knows if that's true. Uh, you know, he might have offered it as a way to try to get them out of there. I mean, who again, it's tough uh, with these documents, the way they're reporting them. But Prigozhin's response was to kind of make a joke about it. So in response to these allegations that he's been talking to Ukrainian intelligence officials, he said on Telegram, quote, yes, of course, I can confirm this information. We have nothing to hide from the foreign special services. Budinov and I are still in Africa, end quote. So that's uh, his response to the whole thing. Um, All right, the next story here, Zelensky privately plotted bold attacks on Russian territory. So this is uh, more of these Discord leaks, and this is again from the Washington Post. 
And it says that Zelensky has privately plotted major attacks inside Russia while pledging publicly that his forces won't use Western-provided arms to target Russian territory. The report cited leaked Pentagon documents that are part of the Discord leaks and said Zelensky has previously suggested attempting to occupy Russian villages. Uh, he suggested bombing a Russian pipeline to Hungary, and he expressed concern over the lack of long-range weapons that can strike Russian territory. So according to one of these documents, Zelensky suggested during a meeting in January that Ukrainian forces could conduct strikes in Russia and move forces into Russian territory to occupy Russian border cities. And the idea of the assault would be to give Kiev leverage in talks with Moscow. And another document, which this has previously been uh, reported on, this document said that Zelensky expressed concern to Zelushny, who is Ukraine's commander in chief, uh, about the fact that Ukraine does not have long range missiles capable of reaching Russian troop deployments inside Russia. But what seems to me to be Zelensky's most provocative statement in these leaks is uh, during a meeting with Ukraine's deputy prime minister. This was in February. Apparently, he proposed blowing up the Druzba pipeline, which provides oil to Hungary. Uh, it's a big pipeline. It delivers oil to other countries. But I guess he wanted to blow up the line to Hungary, which is a NATO member. The document says that Zelensky, quote, highlighted that Ukraine should just blow up the pipeline and destroy likely Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban's industry, which is based heavily on Russian oil, end quote. So the document, the document did suggest that Zelensky was, quote, expressing rage toward Hungary and therefore could be making hyperbolic meaningless threats, end quote. But either way, it's very provocative. And the revelation is sure to raise tensions be between Kiev and Budapest. Both U.S. and Ukrainian officials have not been happy with Hungary over its calls for ceasefires. And they have worked to sort of soften EU sanctions on Russia. They uh, got an exemption to the Russian oil ban, along with the other landlocked countries that rely on pipelines. They just don't have the infrastructure to not import Russian oil. Um, so these revelations about what Zelensky uh, has been plotting, it comes after the British started delivering their storm shadow mis missiles, which have a range of about 155 miles, you know, which could certainly be used to hit Russian territory. Uh, but a Pentagon official told the Washington Post, ah, we're not worried about it. Uh, you know, even uh, though there's these leaks and Zelensky, his response to this, he said that they were these stories were fantasies. He's just denying it. Um, so that is that. And the next one here, Russia says that Ukraine used their British storm shadow miss missiles in Luhansk. So the Russian defense ministry on Saturday said that Ukrainian forces have already used the storm shadow miss missiles in attacks on the Russian-controlled Donbass city of Luhansk. So the claim from Moscow came just a few days after British Defense Minister Ben Wallace confirmed that London began shipping these Storm Shadow missiles to Kiev. The Russian Defense Ministry said that Ukraine launched the missiles on Friday and claimed that they hit civilian targets, including a meat processing plant in the eastern Donbass city uh, of Luhansk. Moscow has uh, also said that homes were damaged and that several people were wounded, including six children. So the Russian defense ministry said, quote, the attack used storm shadow air missiles supplied by the UK to Kiev to the Kiev regime, despite London statements that those weapons 
would not be used in attacks on civil facilities, end quote. So the Russian Defense Ministry added that Russian forces downed a Soviet-made Su-25 Ukrainian uh, aircraft that fired the missiles, and they also downed a, a MiG-29 fighter that accompanied that the one that fired the missiles. Um, but as of Sunday afternoon, the Ukrainian government has not commented on the Russian claims. Um, so I guess this isn't uh, confirmed, you know, that they did use the storm shadows yet. Uh, so maybe we will see some confirmation on that. Uh, all right. The next one here, Germany announces a $2.9 billion arms package for Ukraine. So Germany on Saturday announced this massive arms package, which is their largest package of military aid for Ukraine since Russia invaded last year. And this package includes 30 Leopard 1 tanks, martyr fighting vehicles, air defense systems, and surveillance drones. And the announcement came a day before Zelensky visited Berlin. Zelensky wrote on Twitter, quote, I thank Germany for the largest military aid package since the beginning of the full-scale Russian invasion. German air defense systems, artillery, tanks, and infantry fighting vehicles are saving Ukrainian lives and bringing us closer to victory, end quote. So in Berlin on Sunday, Zelensky met with Chancellor Olaf Scholz. Scholz said that Germany will support Ukraine for as long as it is necessary. And this aid package is, is kind of viewed as a gesture to show the German government's staunch support for Kiev, as Scholz has previously come under criticism for being hesitant to send heavy weapons such as tanks, but of course that changed. Last year, Schultz said that he would not arm Ukraine with tanks and planes because he was trying to prevent a nuclear war. But his concern of escalation has waned, and dozens of German Leopard tanks have already been delivered to Ukraine. Schultz's government also approved Poland's delivery of Soviet-made MiG-29 fighter jets to Ukraine that originally belonged to Germany. So because they initially came from Germany, they had to sign off on the delivery. And so, so far, Germany and its NATO allies have not pledged Western-made aircraft for Ukraine, but it seems like it's coming. Um, while he was in Berlin, Zelensky was saying that he's looking for him and that he, he's been on a little tour of Europe, and he said he's been pushing to get these fighter jets. All right, the next one here, this is from Kyle Anzalone over at the Libertarian Institute. NATO members split on how to upgrade Ukraine's status at an upcoming summit. So members of NATO are privately debating what Kiev's status should be within the alliance. All countries agree on upgrading Ukraine's standing in the bloc, but some members are hesitant to give Kiev a concerted path to joining the alliance. So, you know, this debate has been going on for a while now, it seems like. And it's ahead of the summit that's going to be held in Lithuania in July. And during that gathering, the members are expected to agree to strengthen the ties between NATO and Ukraine. Last month, uh, Stoltenberg, the NATO Secretary General, he said that Ukraine's me membership status, status will be on the table at the upcoming summit. They're going to be discussing it is basically what he said. And um, this is kind of the way it's been uh, with a lot of these issues. So the alliance is basically divided by Eastern European countries, Western European countries uh, on one hand. So the Eastern European countries and the, you know, the Baltic states they want to give Ukraine a clear path to NATO membership while, you know, Germany and France and apparently also the U.S. is not on board with this idea. So I'm sure that they're going to give them some kind of symbolic thing. Uh, you know, who knows exactly what kind of guarantees they're going to give Ukraine. But either way, it's just going to, 
raise, you know, escalate things with Russia and kind of guarantee that this war is going to keep going on because that's always been Russia's kind of main thing. Their main demand is that they want Ukraine to be neutral. And there's all these uh, uh, promises from NATO. And, and it sounds like there's going to be more now. Uh, all right. So the next one here, this is another one from Kyle. Officials in Washington and Europe are divided over the future of the Ukraine war. This is according to a report from the New York Times. It said that there is a debate in Washington about ending the war in Ukraine that has become amorphous and paradoxical. So apparently, basically, there's two sides to different outcomes. There's people saying, okay, if Ukraine regains territory, that means it's time for talks. But then there's other people saying, no, no, no. If they regain territory, that means we should keep supporting them so they could take more territory and fully defeat Russia. And then there's people saying if the counteroffensive is a failure, that then, you know, we'll probably have to, you know, give it up and, and push for talks. But then others are saying, no, we just got to keep supporting them, you know, as long as it takes. And, you know, publicly, and I think it's pretty clear that this is his position, Blinken, uh, as Kyle mentions, has been just very publicly, staunchly supporting Ukraine, saying, you know, no matter what, him and his uh, British counterpart met last week and said this, you know, it doesn't matter what happens with the counteroffensive. It doesn't matter if they gain territory, if they can't gain any territory, we're going to keep supporting them. It's up to Ukraine, you know, for however long they want to keep fighting this war and we're going to keep backing them. So I still think that's kind of the prevalent view, you know, guiding the Biden administration because it seems to be what Blinken and like Jake Sullivan uh, are still all about. Um, so maybe the, there will be more uh, dissent within the administration as this thing drags on. All right, the next one here, the U.S. military may access Papua New Guinea's ports. So more on this deal with Papua New Guinea. So the defense cooperation agreement that the U.S. and Papua New Guinea are set to sign later this month could give the U.S. military access to some of the Pacific Island nation's ports and airports. So President Biden is going to become the first sitting president to, president to visit Papua New Guinea and is due to arrive on May 22nd following the G7 summit in, in Hiroshima, Japan. So Papua New Guinea's foreign minister said that they're going to sign this military agreement uh, when Biden comes to visit. And now sources familiar with these negotiations told Nikkei Asia that the deal will be designed to allow U.S. troops to access certain facilities. The U.S. would pre-position materials, including equipment, fuel, and spare parts so that they could serve as maintenance and resupply hubs for military aircraft and ships during contingencies. And it also said that additional infrastructure may need to be built. So it sounds like the U.S. might build some bases in Papua New Guinea, expand its military footprint around the world even more. And if you're watching the video here, you see this country, Papua New Guinea, is just north of Australia. Um, and, you know, these plans are about uh, preparing for a future war with China. And that's, again, what U.S. military leaders are saying. This Nikkei report quoted General Kenneth Wilsbach, who is a commander of U.S. Pacific Air Forces. He said that the idea of expanding ties, uh, of expanding, I guess, in general, in the Pacific is to create more areas that China would need to target. He said, quote, obviously, we would like to disperse 
in as many places as we can to make the targeting problem for the Chinese as difficult as possible. A lot of those runways where we would operate from are in the Pacific Island nations, end quote. So you notice what he says, you know, these places are all going to become targets if there is a war between the U.S. and China. Um, so that's what this is all about here. All right, the next one here, uh, the U.S. will increase its military presence in the Persian Gulf. So this is another one from Kyle. And National Security Council spokesman John Kirby announced a plan to expand America's military posture in the Middle East. And the move comes after the U.S. hijacked an Iranian fuel tanker, prompting Iran to seize two ships in the Persian Gulf. So Kirby told reporters on Friday, quote, today the Department of Defense will be making a series of moves to bolster our defensive positions in the Persian Gulf. U.S. Central Command will provide additional details on those reinforcements in the coming days, end quote. So the U.S. and Iran began seizing commercial vessels in recent weeks. In April, Washington seized the Suez Rajan, which is a tanker carrying Iranian oil to China. Five days later, Iran confiscated a U.S.-bound Marshall Islands-flagged oil tanker. And then uh, a few days after that, they seized a second ship in the Gulf. Um, so tensions between the U.S. and Iran, you know, it's something that's easy to forget about with all this stuff going on with Ukraine and Russia and China. But, uh, you know, the situation in the Middle East between the U.S. and Iran is, is not good and can really uh, escalate at any time here, especially now with the U.S. sending more military assets to the region. So who knows what could uh, come of that. Uh, all right, the next one here. So this is from the Electronic Intifada. The ceasefire ends five days of Gaza escalation. So it looks like uh, the situation in Gaza has finally wound down. So Israel and the Islamic Jihad in Gaza agreed to a ceasefire late Saturday evening, bringing to a, ten bringing to a tentative end five days of intense cross-boundary fire that claimed the lives of 33 Palestinians in Gaza and two people in Israel. Palestinians across Gaza celebrated in the streets upon the declaration of the Egyptian-mediated ceasefire. Israel killed six lead leaders belonging to the Islamic Jihad resistance group in Gaza since launching a surprise attack at dawn on Tuesday. The resistance factions responded by firing hundreds of rockets towards central and southern Israel, disrupting business as usual in the country with air raid sirens heard in Tel Aviv and the Jerusalem area, as well in communities near Gaza. The text of the agreement seen by Reuters uh, reportedly stipulates an end to targeting civilians, house demolitions, an end to targeting individuals immediately when the ceasefire goes into effect. Um, so... During its latest assault on Gaza, Israel once again targeted civilian inf infrastructure, intensifying its strikes towards the ends of the offensive. So of the 33 Palestinians killed in Gaza since early Tuesday, at least 13 were civilians and six were members of armed groups. So I guess we don't know exactly uh, what the status is of the rest of the casualties. And among the 13 civilians killed were four girls, three boys, four women, and two men. So what is that? Seven children were killed. Um, and some of the fatalities in Gaza are likely the result of rockets fired from the territory that fell short of Israel. The Gaza Health Ministry said that some 150 Palestinians have been injured on, since Tuesday. 
Uh, so it looks like everything is calm now, although there was a report of a rocket fire, but the Palestinian said that it was a uh, misfire. And I don't think anything really came of it. Um, so the Palestinian rocket fire from Gaza killed an 80-year-old Israeli woman and a Palestinian laborer from Gaza. Um, so one of the casualties in Israel was a Palestinian uh, in the southern Naqab region. Uh, all right. So the next one, the last one here is Turkey's election. Um, so Erdogan, it looks like as of Sunday night, you know, it's early Monday in Turkey when I'm recording this. It looks like Turkey's, they had their presidential election on, on Sunday. And it looks like it's going to head to a runoff because they needed to secure uh, 50% to, for the win. And Erdogan was at 49.59%. And his main uh, opponent was at 44.67. So they're going to go to a runoff. And then I, that's what it looks like. It could change. They're still counting. Uh, but it could uh, go to a runoff, which would be held on May 28th, and then it would just be Erdogan against his opponent, who, from what I understand, is more pro-West than Erdogan and could be more friendly to the U.S. So, and I, it seems like the U.S. does not want Erdogan to win, and you know he he's saying that Biden's trying to overthrow him and things like that. So, you know, again, I don't I don't know much about Turkish politics, you know. Uh, I don't know how significant this could be for because Turkey is a big player and everything um, because, you know, they are a NATO ally, but they also have good relations with Russia. That's why they were able to broker that grain deal. Um, but then they also have what they're doing in Syria. Um, so, you know, if there's a big change in the person running, you know, leadership in Turkey could have an impact on you know what they're doing on the world stage. Uh, but that is it for the news. Go check out our viewpoints. We have one from David Stockman, why RFK's candidacy matters to the conservative cause. We have one from Ted Galen Carpenter, bogus foreign policy narratives go unchallenged. We have one from Daniel Larison, DeSantis's underwhelming global tour that's over at his Substack. One from Daniel L. Davis, Ukraine's long expected offensive, why it won't beat Putin. That's over at 1945. And then our spotlight is from Connor Freeman over at the Libertarian Institute. Washington wants war with China served hot, not cold. And, you know, about how they are preparing for a hot war with China. That's what that's what's happening. Um, but anyway, that's it. That's everything. Oh, I did not. I forgot to mention that it's still our fundraiser. We are just wrapping things up. Um, so if you could please help us out with that. We're very close. So we could, uh, you know, just focus on doing what we do uh, with the news coverage and and help and the opinion and analysis that we provide from our anti-war point of view. So go to antiwar.com slash donate and you can see the different ways that you can help us out. Uh, but that's it. And if you another way you could always help us is just by sharing the website, telling your friends about antiwar.com, sharing this show. Uh, that's also a big help. Uh, but I will be back tomorrow with some more news. Thanks for listening.